0: Thank you. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And
1: I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy.
0: And you're listening to Schmanners.
1: It's extraordinary etiquette.
0: For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? Okay.
1: You know, I think is it is it too early here in Ohio? Never. To say that it might be fall. It's fall, y'all. I just don't know because we have so many false falls in this area. This neck it, the neck of the woods. I call them trips. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, Pratt get Falls. Pratt. That would have been better. Oh well, yeah. no, It's all right. Because we had a nice like week, and then it got blazing hot again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's called the second summer around here.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Here's all I know. It was uh, it was cool enough this morning. I put on a flannel shirt, so it's fall, y'all.
1: I can tell. I am that is, that's the truth, friends, listeners, the shirt, it is flannel.
0: I'm glad you said I can tell, because it would be weird if you <laughs> could, like, I put on a flannel shirt, I had no idea. <laughs> We're sitting in the same room.
1: Oh, I think I would what, what I meant was, I can tell you people out there that it maybe, is that what I meant? No. No, it's probably not. That's Okay.
0: That's okay. Do you want to say something about an article of clothing you're wearing and I
1: can confirm that it's true as well? I'm I'm wearing a Bob's Burgers t-shirt. I could tell. It says butts. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, everybody, that's true. <laughs> it does. Confirmed.
1: I have a whole collection at this point. I love them.
0: It's, it's something I know I can find at like conventions and, uh, and stuff that I know you'll like. But that's not what we're talking about at all. No, it's not. Speaking of conventions, yeah, when we went and did uh, our our show in Seattle when we were at PAX, um, we were performing at a a place that I don't know if it's like in the Seahawks Stadium or if it's just like really really adjacent to. I don't know, but um, we're sitting in the who green can tell? room. yeah it who, was only you were knows. only there a lot. We um, were sitting there. And somebody comes in and they're like, hey, is it okay if the bomb sniffing dog comes through? Mm. And I was like, yeah. Because I think it would be weird for two reasons. One, that feels like a trick, right? That if you're like, what? No, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but also like, if I was like, no, I lo- I'd rather live not knowing if there was a bomb in here or not, right? So right. we were like, yeah. So the dog comes through. And then I noticed that the dog was sniffing at our stuff a lot.
1: And that's where I was
0: like, I don't want to tell you guys how to do your job, but it'd be wild if we were the ones who brought it, right? Anywho, then dad was like, hey, when the dog is done working, can I pet that dog? And they said, yes. So the dog finished his shift. Yeah. And then they brought him over. His name is Watson. And he was amazing. He was incredible and adorable. He's a detective dog. He was a detective dog and he did an amazing job.
1: His name is Watson.
0: He was a good partner. Ah. Uh, that would be my bet. I see. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you you finished it. You got it.
0: Well, because Watson, Watson wasn't the detective of the two I of mean,
1: them. I mean, he was a wannabe. He really loved
0: I it. I don't think he wanted to. I think he liked the event. It depends on which version we're talking about, obs, But I never got the impression that Watson was like, I wish I was a detective. I think it, he was a lot more of the grumbly sidekick of like, well, all right.
1: <laughs> Again, it depends on the version. Because okay. if you read the books, he's very into it. Okay. Anyway.
0: So we're talking about service We dogs. are talking That's about service That's why I brought dogs. up the Watson. We got there. Okay.
1: Um, this is actually a highly requested topic from many people who have written in. Um, and so we're talking about service animals. There's a little bit of a fascinating history. Um, and then, you know, we'll answer the popular question of what's the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal? Okay. Quick note, the Americans with Disabilities Act was revised in 2010 to include miniature horses as service animals, Um, and it can also vary from state to state what qualifies as a service animal, and we are going to focus mostly on dogs, although... There are lots of animals that are trained to bring people comfort and safety.
0: I think it's probably just that dogs are the best animal in the world, right? Is that it? And different forms of dog too. Like I put wolf up there, uh, fox. Who even knows, right? Not. I mean. Oh, you it, were about to confidently say it's not. Is but it you in don't the canine know. family? Nobody knows. This is the wild thing. Nobody knows.
1: I don't believe you.
0: Nobody knows.
1: <clears throat> Hyena.
0: So, That's a cool one, huh?
1: We don't have an exact date that dog started to be trained to assist humans. You
0: know, I actually think that foxes probably are cats because the finnick fox, isn't that and like the night cat?
1: Ah. <gasps> I it's don't know. not worth looking up. You're not going to check? <sighs> anyway, uh, we do know for a fact that service dogs have been around for thousands of years because there is early evidence uncovered by archaeologists in the ruins of the ancient Roman city of Herculaneum. Um, That is where historians (gasps) found a mural of a blind man being led by his dog that dates all the way back to the first century CE.
0: Foxes or dogs? Nice. Okay. Thanks, Google. Now, this isn't surprising to me at all, right? Because I think that um, if you think about the very nature of dogs, right, the existence of dogs, the evolution of dogs.
1: As humans have made them the domestication of dogs I yes. guess yes
0: the right way to do it right is like from the beginning right it was like hey I think that this relationship can be mutually beneficial
1: yes right
0: that it was like protection herding hunting
1: you will help me and
0: I will feed you exactly right there is there is we are safer together dog and man right and so I think that there is a pretty logical uh uh step to be like, hey, and how about you help me also in like day-to-day life a little bit more, right? Right.
1: Um, Now, not
0: quite at the level in Peter Pan where it's like the dogs taking care of the kids. Yeah, I don't, listen, I think Buttercup and Lily are great, but if we were like, hey, we're leaving for the night, dog, keep an eye on the kids. No, thank you. There was a human being there, wasn't there? Yeah,
1: Wendy was there.
0: When she's he's like charged, twelve.
1: Well, but she's supposed to take care of those boys too. Like that oh was the God. idea, but right? She's
0: that's parentification. I don't like that one bit.
1: I also don't like the idea of leaving your dogs alone with your children because dogs and children should always be supervised. I mean, I guess that's true. Also,
0: lock that window, man, because yeah, flying, flying boys could come in there left and right. That's why in my house. I got, I got shutters that detect pixie dust. <laughs> <laughs> Those metal things slam right down. No Peter Pan coming to me, taking my kids away. There's pirates in Neverland. It is not safe oh, there. Okay. They shoot her with arrows. All right. The boys do. Okay.
1: There are also records from Asia and the Middle East and other parts of Europe of dogs assisting blind owners. So it is very likely that the first job that a dog had outside of protection and livestock... The first job directly benefiting a human owner was as a, for a vision impaired person.
0: So this is what I'm saying. Once again, right? Like if I, you know, I'm sitting there. It's I don't know 200 AD or whatever, right? And I and my vision is impaired, right? I'm gonna have a dog sitting next to me to let me know, like if somebody's coming.
1: Oh yeah, right? Like barks. They bark at all that, right? Safe.
0: Oh, I'm I'm here just like sitting on my front porch. Enjoying the breeze and listening to the sound of the stream. I don't know where I am in this story. I don't know where you are either. There's going to be a dog sitting next to me to like bark and let me know if someone approaches, right? So like, it makes complete sense where the logic would be. You know what I mean? And once again, kind of like I think we've talked about this maybe on the show, but like with dragons, and Mm -hmm. I think we also talked about it with like pasta and Mm -hmm. bread, Mm -hmm. that it makes complete sense that there would be multiple different origin points for these things without it just being like, yeah, this one person had this idea one time and it's spread all over the world. I can very easily see like a bunch of people, n- not simultaneously, but more or less concurrently going like, Certainly. Hey, dogs are really helpful.
1: Indeed. Um, the first formal training that we have evidence of was there during the mid 1700s. Um, Le Quincevin was a uh, hospital specializing in ophthalmology and unofficially began to train dogs to see if they could assist vision-impaired patients. So, I mean, okay. I said officially. I said formally trained, right? So this is a doctor kind of like seeing if this would work in a kind of like...
0: This is not a tested, proven scenario. Right. This is we're going to formally... Uh, attempt to train What an agenda. We're putting in a, uh, what's it called when teachers build up the thing for kids?
1: Syllabus? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because the training facilities would come later. Sure. Um, Other European doctors.
0: It would be wild to build a building first that is specifically like, this is going to be a building to train dogs. How do we train them? I don't <laughs> I know, don't man. Know. We don't have the building yet.
1: Um, Other doctors followed suit once they heard about this guy being like, hey, let's see if we can do this. In 1819, Johann Wilhelm Klein, the founder of the Institute for the Blind in Vienna, published one of the very first official guide dog training manuals. He recommended that each dog be fitted with a special kind of harness and that poodles and shepherds were preferred breeds for this kind of work. Really? You know, it makes sense to me because it is about the right height, right?
0: Yeah, I just don't think, like, when when I think of a service animal today— I think the first thing my brain thinks of is like a golden retriever
1: because they are highly trainable.
0: Yeah, well. So, I was a dog trainer for a little while. Mm-hmm. The, the golden retrievers are highly eager to please.
1: Yes. So yes. So, maybe not that smart, but from what I understand,
0: yeah, from my understanding, the most trainable dog is the Pomeranian. But a Pomeranian and then once again, this is my understanding. So, if you're an animal behavior person and I'm wrong, yeah, it's fine. I'm I'm okay living in my wrongness. Um, Pomeranians are so smart that once they uh, mastered a trick or whatever and do it a couple times, they're like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> now, it's boring now, but it's why Pomeranians are like really good, like circus dogs and they're good at like flips and stuff. And meanwhile, a golden retriever is like, I just want you to like me. So, I'll so just they'll do, do the
1: same thing over and over again yeah. if you give them enough praise.
0: Correct. Or just even a little bit of praise. They're really the Travis McElroy of
1: dogs. <laughs> um... I think it has to do with maybe the herding instinct, right? Yeah, that makes complete sense. They yeah. found the herding instinct to be very helpful, keeping blind people from being in danger. Sure. And I've seen that actually firsthand. We don't know exactly what kind of shepherd mix Lily is, but we, I have seen her when Buttercup sees a, um, like, I don't know, like a squirrel or whatever. And if Lily doesn't want Buttercup to chase it, she will cut her off, yes, and herd her from going where she wants to go. Yes, it's amazing. Um, it's always interesting to me because, like, poodles are hunting dogs, mm-hmm.
0: and I think people never think about that when they look at a poodle because they're like, "Oh, so pretty, so fancy," and but it's like, yeah, poodles are, were meant to like retrieve like ducks from you know the water when they're shot down and stuff. They have a water-resistant coat. And I was like, that's, that's a hunting dog right yeah. there.
1: But it had the reputation for the foo foo. Sure. Haircuts and but they, stuff. But they're hunting dogs. Anyway, um, so in 1847, a man named Jakob Bierger began officially training his beloved Spitz and documenting the experiences of being led by a dog. So, a Spitz, Spitz, sorry, for those who don't know, is a smaller German dog. They weigh about 25 pounds or so and they look very similar to the Pomeranian, right? Now, a Spitz
0: is sitting in a sauna, right? In right. The, okay.
1: <laughs> a Spitz. Spitz. Is what I'm okay. a spitz. Okay, uh, and so the similar to the Pomeranian, they have very pointed ears and fluffy fur. Um, Barrier trained his spitz for five years and continued to take notes for his next pooch after that one passed. Oh, bummer. Well, yeah, I animals, mean, listen, they just don't I, live as long as people do, and it's <laughs> sad. But yes, we don't have to talk about it. Okay, so this is about the time when people began experimenting with the therapeutic effects of other animals
0: i can't wait to talk about that but first how about a word from some other max fun shows let's go Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens allure uh, persists. They have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, smash mommy. Smash me, mama. I smash <laughs> me, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> the sirens allure <laughs> Why do we do this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand Stran me, me, baby Strand me, baby. So yeah, this is my brother, my brother and me for maximum fun on Mondays. It's just like that it's just like to have a more it's just like that, have a more of it there's there's just more of that.
1: The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom,
0: Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16, Street Fighter 6, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield, Spider-Man 2, Master Detective Archive's Code for Nintendo Switch? No? Is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games.
1: You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click a video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
0: Okay. Other animals. Yes. Now, do you mean like other guide animals?
1: Yeah. So doctors at this time began to use things like horses and even birds In studies for people suffering from, like, psychological or neurological issues, Uh Uh, in 1867 in Germany, an institution for people suffering from epilepsy began offering alternative care programs like writing therapy. Sure. Um, and after the First World War, nurses at Pauling Army Air Force Convalescent Hospital in New York also had success using dogs as therapeutic aids for soldiers suffering from PTSD. Okay. World War I is really when we start to see the development of the modern guide dog movement. Um, there was a lot of devastation from mustard gas and Oh, shrapnel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it left a lot of soldiers blind and traumatized because war is terrible. Um, and so another German doctor named Gerhard Stalling was uh, walking with one of his patients and his personal guide dog. And after leaving the guide dog and the blind man together for a short time, he began to notice that the dog was helping the patient. Uh, And so this began his investigation into ways of training dogs to become reliable guide dogs. And his work led to Stalling opening a school for guide dogs in Germany. uh, Dogs are just the best, man. of 1916.
0: Dogs are the best. So cool.
1: This school was a great success. And so soon Stalling schools were training up to 600 guide dogs a year. Uh, for blind handlers and vision-impaired people, uh, mainly ex-servicemen from across Europe and Soviet Union and Canada and the United States. Uh, those, that school closed in 1926, but by that time, there was another very prestigious school that started to open up uh, to meet this demand for protective and assistive dogs. Um, so this school... Uh, was capable of accommodating a hundred dogs at a time and would provide up to twelve fully trained dogs a month to handlers who needed them i mean that is amazing right so you because it's a it's a pretty uh strict kind of training regimen absolutely and to make twelve dogs uh a month who are capable of this kind of training i mean that definitely shows you the kind of demand there was oh, yeah. for this kind of help. And here we meet Dorothy Eustace. Eustace was an American dog breeder and philanthropist who had a deep love for animals and dogs especially. She was a skilled uh, and prolific dog trainer. Uh, she trained dogs for the army, for the police, for custom service in Switzerland. And she was enthralled with this European method of training dogs for the blind um, and spent several months in Europe learning how it worked. Returning to America, she wrote an article published in the Saturday Evening Post where she told the tale of a school outside Berlin where she had studied. Shortly after this article was published, she began getting piles of letters from young readers who wanted to know more. One of which was from a man in Nashville, Tennessee named Morris Frank who desperately needed assistance from one of these types of dogs. Okay um, And he said that help me and I will help them. There are thousands of blind like me who abhor being dependent on others. Train me and I will bring back my dog and show people how a blind man can be absolutely on his own.
0: Okay, I think that's amazing,
1: right? Yeah,
0: I like that kind of thing. That feels like straight out of a movie, doesn't it?
1: It really does. Like like
0: you would write that of like, I'm telling you, train me, and I will help. That right, like that's powerful, Morris. I like that.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, So, and Eustace loved it too. Uh, She immediately set to work training a guide dog for him, uh, a German shepherd named Buddy. Mm. How sweet. Um, And the two of them went to Switzerland together, Eustace and Frank.
0: Uh, I did I did already think you meant Frank and Buddy. <laughs> like I I'm not gonna lie. I, I My mean, brain just went like, yeah, she trained Buddy, and Buddy and Morris
1: were just like, Cool man, bye. <laughs> I am assuming that Buddy also went oh, okay. to receive the training. <laughs> sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um and so Mr. Frank returned home with America's very first official guide dog. Um, he traveled the country demonstrating how well Buddy could help him navigate obstacles and cross busy streets. And um, later, he would recount that the five cents he spent on the Saturday Evening Post had, quote, bought an article that was worth more than a million dollars. It changed my life. Morris Frank is very well spoken. He surely is. Okay. What a, what a, a beautiful ring. You know what? I'm actually going to guess was very
0: well spoken. <laughs> well, just rough, just a guess. Okay.
1: Okay, so Eustace uh, was not to be stopped, and by the end of 1928...
0: <laughs> I like that phrasing. Oh, how they tried. <laughs>
1: how they tried.
0: Oh, the authorities, they couldn't bring her down.
1: Uh, she, like Godzilla she was. Yes. She and Morris Frank launched the Seeing Eye, which was the very first dog guide school in the United States of America, uh, which is where we get...
0: Seeing Eye Dog.
1: Seeing Eye Dog. Okay. So, I mean, a lot... I have always before before this referred to a assistance dog for the blind as a seeing eye dog, but not all dogs are seeing eye dogs. Like Xerox
0: and Kleenex and band aids. Yeah,
1: Um, they didn't have a facility, but they toured the country. You build
0: the facility second.
1: (laughs) That's that's right. Uh, In 1931, uh, in New Jersey, when. they purchased a 10-bedroom mansion so that they could house the students during the program so they could always be near the dogs that were training. Okay, cool. Uh, in 1966, the Seeing Eye would move to a even more uh, and better facility in Morristown, New Jersey. An 11-bedroom, which... No. <laughs> No, I mean, it's it's bigger. Okay. Uh which is still operating today, having trained more than 18,000 guide dog teams throughout North America. Woo! It's a lot. And the Seeing Eye School is I mean, definitely not the only one of these schools uh that emerged in the 20th century. There's Guide Dogs of America and Guide Do- Dog Foundation um and Guide Dogs of America specifically specializes in not only assisting people with visual impairments, but also people with autism and veterans suffering from PTSD, mobility issues, brain injuries, things like that. Um, the next person we need to talk about is Dr. Benita Bergen. She is referred to as the mother of the modern-day service dog term and concept. Okay. Uh, she was an American canine researcher and doctor, uh, and founder of the Bergen University of Canine Studies, and credited as the person that realized service dogs were useful companions for people with an array of disabilities, not just the vision impaired. Traveling throughout the world, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, other parts of Europe and Asia, um, she observed how people how different cultures used. Help from guide dogs and service dogs. Um, also, the donkey is the often donkey. used across the world the as a service donkey. animal. Mm. I I heard about so I said at the beginning about miniature horses, and I guess donkey just kind of like left my brain as something that was already kind of a smaller ish horse-like creature?
0: I'm never not thinking about donkeys. Oh, really? I mean, most of the time it's subconsciously, but Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the donkey from Sarah and Duck that lives with the Yarn Woman. Yeah, I'm thinking about the donkey from Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl that's in- That
1: poor donkey. I know,
0: right? That poor donkey. I'm just saying, I'm thinking about the donkey all the time. Anyway, the donkey from Shrek, obviously. Obviously. Donkey. Uh,
1: throughout the world, he married a dragon.
0: Now here's where it gets weird. (laughs) They had half donkey, half dragon kids.
1: I don't wanna. I don't wanna go down that rabbit hole. Thank you. Uh, across the world, donkeys are used as service animals, pack animals. Uh, but. She couldn't quite picture them walking down an American street, helping the helping. Well, people. not with that attitude. So dogs seemed a great alternative to okay, her. Sure. Um, and so, together with a young woman named Carrie Naus, it has a silent K. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think it has a silent a K. K. Okay. Carrie Knaus or Naus? I'm going to go with Naus. Uh, who had muscular dystrophy. Uh, trained Abdul, the very first service dog, who was able to respond to specific commands that guide dogs might not have. So I think that all of these distinctions are very important. Oh, yeah. Right? Because it's
0: specific training for specific needs, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And they settled on the name service dog to describe this idea as opposed to guide dog. Yeah. Right? Um, and they opened the Canine Companions for Independence in 1975, uh, which, again, focused on a variety of training methods and needs that different people had.
0: Bespoke service dogs. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And Bergen was essential in making sure that the Americans with Disabilities Act covered service dogs.
0: Ooh, good on you. Uh,
1: by defining the role of service and assistant dogs. And she even helped the United States uh, Department Justice Department developed the regulations for assistance dogs.
0: That's awesome. Is it time now to discuss the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal?
1: Uh, not not quite oh, yet. I have okay. a little bit more to talk about uh, the ADA. Um, so today there are over 500,000 service dogs helping out their owners in just the United States alone. Uh, these come from a variety of breeds, and they are proven to help everything from epilepsy to autism to blindness to hearing impairments to psychological disorders. Uh, and under the ADA, service dogs must be given access to almost everywhere their human handlers can go. So if they ever need help, the trusty com- companion is always by their side. Um, and like I said at the beginning, miniature horses also being trained now and are included. In the ADA, which was revised in 2010, um, and
0: and like I said, man, I, I don't know if you were going to get into this, but when we did, uh, when we were doing, can I pet your dog? Um, we talked about service animals a lot, mm-hmm. and the the testing training process for service dogs is uh, as as you might imagine, right? It it, it has to be pretty regimented um, because you're putting a lot of like. Um, trust and you're putting a lot of responsibility with yeah. these animals right so there are uh dogs that just don't make it past like the final test because you don't want to like entrust someone's you know independence and safety into mm-hmm. a dog that's not a hundred percent of the time reliable right so like these service dogs are well trained high high uh what's the word for? um they're amazing yes yes
1: yes according to the ada Um, A service animal means any dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of an individual with a disability, including physical, sensory, psychiatric, on and on and on, right? Whereas emotional support animals and comfort animals and therapy dogs are not service animals under this uh, because the work or tasks performed by a service animal must be directly related to the individual's disability. Um, and so there are specific examples that the ADA gives, things like a guide dog or a seeing eye dog, which, uh, according to the ADA, is a registered trademarked.
0: Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs>
1: um, and things like a psychiatric service dog uh, that helps with, like, PTSD. A, there's a sensory signal dog or a social signal dog that would be trained to assist an autistic person or their caregiver. Um, seizure response dogs um, and also different um, medical alert dogs Uh, there are certain dogs that can alert you if like uh, your blood sugar is too high right they can smell that type of thing Um, and so like I think that the the ADA is a very interesting piece of legislation and I think that you know if you are interested in this type of thing, you should look it up and, and figure out how that um, relates to the dogs that you've interacted with. I think it's it's really cool. Really cool.
0: Okay. So the answer to, if I'm hearing you correctly, mm-hmm. the difference betwixt a service animal and emotional support animal is that the service animal has been specifically trained in tasks like, that are designed and related to their job. Right. right. So it's like if you're there for, you know, detection or something like a seizure, right, that they are trained specifically in those tasks and perform an alert and do those things. As opposed to an emotional support animal, which is an animal that provides emotional support uh, but isn't necessarily specifically trained in tasks specifically related to the condition. Correct. Okay.
1: So although an emotional support animal does provide a service, it is not a service dog unless it has specific training for specific tasks. Okay. Complete sense made. Yes. At least to me. (laughs) The next question people often have is how do I interact with a service animal? And, I mean, I think that the biggest thing is you really don't, right? Because it is not – it is not – the way a regular dog would be kind of like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Right. It's working. That's it's a working dog. It's a working dog. And you know, I've t- tried to explain this to my kids. Right. And you can usually see a service animal because they will be wearing something very specific to their job. Like, um, like a guide dog will be wearing like a specific harness, uh, with a handle or, uh, they a even, vest. they even have vests with like maybe words on it. Yeah. Right. um, and now so, I have seen
0: before, because we also yeah. talk about this on camp Pet your dog, that like those TSA dogs and dogs like that, um, that because you know you're not allowed to pet them, but if you ask like can I pet that they'd be like, No, but here is a trading card for this dog and they had like a picture oh, that's of the so dog cool. and they had like stats about it or whatever on the back because you weren't allowed to pet it, but here's a trading card for the dog, and I thought it was the cutest thing.
1: That's nifty. Um, because you don't want to distract a dog, right? While it's working, right. because then if it's distracted, it can't perform the task that it's supposed to be doing. Um, and so you might have really good intentions, but you could make the the handler exposed to harm if you distract this dog. Yeah. Um, so one way to tell if it's a service animal is if they're generally not there. They you would see a service animal in a place where Pets aren't generally allowed. Right. Um, Because legally they are allowed to be there. They're performing a service and a task. Places like restaurants and schools and hospitals, places like that. These are trained animals. And so they're not pets. You shouldn't pet them.
0: I would also mean, I would go so far as to say. It doesn't matter Right, because you should always ask before you interact with a dog anyways. Correct. Right, so even if it's just like a dog on a leash that you see on the street, never assume, like, it's totally okay if I go over and start, like, petting that dog. Mm -hmm. You don't know the dog's deal, you don't know the owner's deal, you don't know if it's a working dog, you don't know, like, there's so many things you do not know, and, like, there are certain ways that you should approach a dog that doesn't know you, and all these things. And so, yes, obviously, when I say it doesn't matter, I don't mean it doesn't matter if it's a service animal. Obviously, it does. But I mean, behavior-wise, right. just because it's a service animal doesn't mean like, or it's not a service animal, doesn't mean like, ah, not a service animal, you have free reign to go <laughs> over and like start petting and playing with that dog.
1: Specifically, um, try not to make eye contact or talk to the dog. Um, obviously, don't try and feed it. Right. Um, and if you have your own dog in an area where you suspect someone's service dog is also try and keep them apart. Right. Yeah. This is another distraction. Right. Um, don't pick up your dog. Yes. Listen, hey, listen, as long as I have this
0: soapbox, I'm going to stand on it for a second. <laughs> um, if you are a dog owner and you see a dog coming or whatever and you're like, oh, that that other dog seems aggressive or oh, I don't like when other dogs interact with my whatever. Walk away. Because picking up your dog is a signal to the other dog, like we're playing a game now where you're trying to get this dog out of my hand. So even non-aggressive dogs will get excited and be like, we're playing a game now, right? Mm -hmm. And tightening your grip on the leash of your dog, right? And pulling it tight is signaling your dog.
1: That there's something to be afraid of. This
0: other dog is scary. So what you want to do is just turn calmly and walk away. That's the best way to distance yourself from another dog, so like that's just that's just a good way to avoid letting dogs get hyped up, right? Totally. Okay.
1: Along that vein, uh, don't assume that a sleeping dog is an off-duty dog, uh, because dogs sleep differently from us, and just because it has its eyes shut doesn't mean that it isn't alert. Um, and so the rules still apply, even if you think the dog is taking a nap.
0: Do you think Lily is alert? What if we if we say her name, Lily? No, she's asleep. That's fine. She's completely asleep. There was <laughs> She's no also movement. not a service dog. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's no movement whatsoever.
1: Um, but here's here's the last thing: if a service dog approaches you without their owner, you should follow that dog.
0: Well, yeah, because that might be somebody's in trouble.
1: Exactly. So the service dog, uh, like for example, if someone is having a seizure, one of the things that a service dog could be trained to do is go and find help. Yeah. Right. So if you recognize it's a service dog, follow that dog and figure out what what they need.
0: I'm just saying that if any dog comes to find me and wants me to follow it, I'm going to follow it. And I just hope that, like, there isn't some kind of like Fagan-esque character who's trained that dog to lure in people to pick their pockets. Oh, no. I, I will fall for it every <laughs> single time. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our researcher, Alex, without whom we could not make this show. Thank you to our editor, Rachel, without whom we could not make this show. Thank you to you for listening. We could make the show without you, but we wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. We could, but why? <laughs> um, want to tell you, coming up, we've got uh, some My Brother, My Brother, and Me and Adventure Zone shows uh, coming up on October 11th. We're going to be in Philadelphia doing My Brother, My Brother, and Me. On October 12th, we're going to be at New York Comic Con uh, doing Adventure Zone Hootenanny, which is our like country music space opera, which we call Space Opry. It's going to be super fun. Uh, and then on October 13th, we're at New York Comic Con. We're doing My Brother, My Brother, and Me with Sawbones opening. And big update. Uh, New York Comic-Con has decided uh, that you no longer need a badge to attend. So whether you're going to New York Comic-Con or not, if you're in the area, you can come come see the show. Now, if you do have a badge and a ticket, uh, you'll receive a free show poster and the option for priority seating at the show. Uh, and there are also... Uh, tickets that will be made available to watch a video on demand of the show online. You can get all the information about all that stuff at bit.ly slash Tours. What else, Teresa?
1: We always thank Brent, Brent of Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pennant Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. As always, uh, this was a listener sub- submitted request of a topic and you can send your request to schmannerscast at gmail.com say hi to alex because she reads everyone and that's going
0: to do it for us so join us again next week no
1: rsvp required you've been listening to schmanners Manners, manners, get it